Christianity was born in the first century A.D., you know that. It was born in a time and a place where uh, obviously the Romans were in power and in many ways Greek culture was in power still, the Greco-Roman world. And one of the things that uh, cultured people, educated people in the Roman world believed was uh, a philosophy called dualism. That you are made of two substances. You are physical and spiritual. You are body and soul. One of these was good, the soul. The other, bad, disposable, the body. Um, Salvation to the Greco-Roman mind would be escaping from captivity, from imprisonment in this body, the freedom of, the freeing of the soul from the body. Christianity as it was preached in the first century, was absurd. It was ridiculous to these folks. Why? Because the core of the gospel, the core of the faith, is that God became one of us. That Jesus became embodied, became a person like us, lived in a regular old human body. And that was absurd to the ears of the Roman Empire, the cultured ears at least. Um, Ridiculous. God putting on flesh and living among us? No. To be divine was to escape the flesh, not to move into the flesh. And God was then, (laughs) wait a second, God was then executed on a cross by the Roman authorities? Seriously, that's your message, Paul? Um, And then Paul accurately summarizes their feelings about the gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 123 when he says to the Greeks the gospel is foolishness. It's a joke to the Greeks. Ah, but in verse 25 he says this, 1 Corinthians 125, for the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. So why, so why talk about that today? Where so many centuries later, why consider the thinking of, of, of the cultured Greeks and Romans in the world of that time? Because it still flavors our thinking today. It still flavors, in many ways, Christian thought about the body and about what the afterlife looks like. The afterlife yeah, I'm um, not sure, you know, it's some sort of, of ghost spirit realm. Some realm where it's ethereal and airy and light and so different. And the challenge today is to rethink that in terms of what the Bible says, not in terms of what Platonists, the Greek philosophers taught in the first century and before. And biblically, we will see that we do not become less real in heaven. We are not less substantial in the afterlife. The opposite is true, according to the Bible. Now, the present world that we live in, that we experience today, is only a shadow world compared to the world that will overwhelm our senses in the future. So listen to what Paul tells these Corinthians living in the heart of this Greco-Roman philosophy. He says in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18, Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, 
yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs weight, baros. It far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. What what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. Now, when we use these days, I'm sure you heard it, that phrase, reality check, what we usually mean, hey, reality check, we usually mean, hey, wake up to what's happening right here in this world. Paul gives us a better reality check. He says, it's the next world that is substantial, that has weight, that is real. Things have more weight there, have more staying power there, have more glory there. Unlike this lightweight, momentary, passing version of reality that we experience now. And we who believe on the name of Jesus, we who have trusted in the gospel, we understand that this present reality, this present world, is momentary, it is passing, it is fleeting, it is insubstantial compared to the world that is to come. This outward wasting away. This present world of cancer, of ALS, Alzheimer's, aging and decay, bodies in decline. None of this has the final word. This present world doesn't have the final word. This is the first thing on your outline this morning I want you to write down. Eternity is on the way. It's already really been initiated by the resurrection of Jesus. Eternity is on the way, and no struggle, according to Paul, no struggle or pain can, in this life, compare The weight is so unequal. It's not worth weighing those things against each other. There's no comparison. I've been to a lot of funerals. A lot of funerals. A lot of memorial services in Brazil, in the United States, all over. Some folks gather at the funeral. Some folks someday will gather at my funeral. Some folks will gather at your funeral and say a bunch of nice things and everything. But the truth is that all of us, at some point, the current version of your body will fail. I hope that's not a newsflash to you. (laughs) <laughs> 10 in 10 people will die, right? It's a reality for us. Since the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden, all men and women have been subject to this. Jesus is truly a game changer. He is, according to the New Testament, the second Adam. The curse is reversed through Jesus. In Christ, everyone gets to see a preview of coming attractions. In His resurrection, we get a glimpse of what is to come. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 21 to 23, Paul says this. He says, so you see, just as death, thinking about Adam here, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as what? The first of the harvest. 
then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. Jesus, the first of the harvest. Write this down on your outline. The bodily resurrection of Jesus is a preview of the destiny of all believers. He's just the first. First of many. Now back to how the Greeks have totally ruined our thinking about eternal life, about the afterlife. I saw a Time Magazine poll recently with these, these results. First one's kind of impressive. 81% of Americans believe in the afterlife, believe in heaven, I think was the question they were asked. 81%. But only 28, or tw no, 26, only 26% believe that we will have bodies when we get there. Thank you, Greek philosophers, for that. Thank you, Platonists. And, now, and so what we have to do is we have to set aside some preconceived notions, some cultural notions that have been flavored by this philosophy, and we need to go back to Scripture. Paul says that Jesus, in the afterlife, Jesus resurrected from the dead. He had a body, all right? Um, his death did not somehow free him from having a body. This was a big deal in the New Testament. Very big deal. The Apostle John in 2 John chapter 5, verse 7, or rather, there aren't chapters in 2 John, are there? 2 John 7, 2 John verse 7, the Apostle John says that anyone who denies the bodily resurrection of Jesus is an antichrist. Antichrist. Someone who denies that Jesus was resurrected in bodily form. Jesus, first of the harvest. The preview of coming attractions. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 defends the reality of this. The Gospels defend the truth of this, demonstrating over and over again that Jesus was resurrected with a substantial body. He wasn't just a ghost version of Jesus. Luke chapter 24, everybody knows Thomas, doubting Thomas. I don't believe this. It's impossible that he would be resurrected in bodily form. Jesus says to Thomas in Luke 24, verse 39, Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me. and see. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. So Jesus 2.0, Jesus in the afterlife has a body. He was the first of the harvest. You'll have a body too. Real-er. I don't know if that's a word, but we're going to say that's a word. Real-er than the body you currently occupy. This is on the outline this morning. Since Jesus is the prototype, first fruits, first of the harvest, since Jesus is the prototype of the resurrection, I know that I will have a glorious body just like him. When the disciples struggled with this, and you would imagine they would, 
I don't, wait, he, he was killed. We, we know he was killed. He was, he was put in a tomb. He's walking around now. This is obviously some spirit ghost version, right? When they struggled with this, we are told in Luke chapter 24, verses 41 to 43, while they still did not believe it, the bodily resurrection, while they still did not believe it because of joy and excitement, he, Jesus, asked them, I love this, do you have anything to eat? Does anyone have a snack? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and he ate it in their presence. Jesus took pains to show he had a real body after his resurrection, a tangible body. Touch me. Feed me a snack. At the end of John's gospel, he's there on the side of a beach. He's made a fire and he's cooking breakfast for his disciples. Now, was his body the same? No. No, not precisely. Um, he could, we, we see in the gospel, he could pass through walls. He could fly. I mean, the, the ascension to heaven. He couldn't be killed. He couldn't be injured. He didn't catch the flu after his resurrection. His body was different after the resurrection. But there was still a continuity, and the New Testament takes pains to point this out, a continuity between the old Jesus and the resurrected Jesus. His friends recognized him. They remembered him. He remembered them. He talked with them. In fact, it's amazing. In Acts chapter 1, you find Jesus and the apostles continuing conversations after his resurrection, continuing the same conversations they were having before he was crucified. Continuity. Continuity. Now, what does that have to do with me? What does that have to do with you? Everything, right? Because Paul told us he's the first of the harvest. Our resurrection is going to be like this. We will follow his lead. His resurrection gives us a preview of our future. Will we have bodies? Yes, we will have bodies. Will they be like these? No, not going to be like our mortal, sin-shaken frames that hold us now. Will they be real? Yes, they will be real. Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. But we are citizens of heaven. Think, think of that as permanent address. Citizens of heaven. We are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak, mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. You, you, version 2.0 will be different than you 1.0, the current you. Rest assured, you still will be you. The Word of God says that we should think of it as a difference in splendor. Write this down on the outline this morning. A difference in splendor. The current version of me and the future version of me will be different in degrees of splendor. All right? Degrees, okay. What are we talking about here? We're talking about the difference between an acorn 
and an oak tree. The difference between a caterpillar and a butterfly, difference in splendor, right? The Word of God says in 1 Corinthians 15, 40, there are also heavenly bodies. Remember, he's talking to the Greeks here. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of heavenly bodies is of one kind and the splendor of earthly bodies is of another kind. Difference in splendor, difference in magnificence, difference in glory. What is the difference between a crack in the sidewalk and the Grand Canyon? It's a difference in magnificence. It's a difference in splendor. One kind of splendor and another. One kind of grandeur, well, not grandeur in the crack in the sidewalk, right? But you get the idea. One contemporary theologian says that the resurrection, I think this is good, the resurrection will be God downloading your software onto new hardware. Your software onto new hardware. You will still be you. Just different. By the way, when I think of my body, I cannot help but think of the five senses, right? Taste and smell and hearing and sight and touch. In the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, we get glimpses of what heaven will be like, of what we will be like in heaven. And it's interesting because those images involve our five senses just in a, a much more powerful way if you think about it revelation chapter 19 we taste and we smell and the delights of sharing in the wedding feast of the lamb we sit at the table with jesus and we feast or we eat the hidden manna i wonder what that's going to taste like or we <laughs> we experience eating fruit off the tree of life, Revelation 19. Then in chapter 21, we get to feel the caress. We sang about this this morning, of the Father wiping away all tears out of our eyes. Then our, our eyes will be stunned by the sight of this glimmering, towering, holy city. Our senses more alive, more alert. Going from 2D to 3D, or maybe this is 4D, I don't know. Hearing, how about the echoes of choruses being sung by millions and millions of angels and saints? Or the sounds of, of chapter 22, the, the rushing waters of the river of life as they pass by? Can't imagine heaven without imagining it through your senses. And so someday when you awaken in paradise, God, I think, is essentially going to say, get real. This is reality, folks. The shadows are gone. Welcome to the real world. When you come alive in the presence of the Lord, it will be the ultimate reality check. When I was a kid... My mom used to read me a story called The Velveteen Rabbit by Marjorie Williams. I love that story. 
If there were a fifth gospel, maybe it would be the Velveteen Rabbit in the New Testament. I don't know. It's really good. And in this story, there's a boy who receives, he's got a lot of toys, and some of them are old from, from some of his older family members that have been passed on to him, and some of them are new, like this new velveteen rabbit, inexpensive toy, uh, unimpressive, really, stuffed animal, adds it to this collection of toys. And the velveteen rabbit, he felt like he was a nobody, like he was worthless. He was a little ashamed of his body. He felt, when he looked around at the other toys, he felt less than, you know? The rabbit could not claim, she writes, to be a model of anything. For he didn't know that real rabbits existed. He thought they were all stuffed with sawdust like himself. And he understood that sawdust was quite out of date and should never be mentioned in modern circles. Between all the other toys, the poor little rabbit was made to feel himself very insignificant and commonplace. And the only person, it's a toy in the nursery there, the only person who was kind to him at all was the skin horse. The skin horse had lived in the nursery longer than any of the others. He was so old that his brown coat was bald in patches and showed the seams underneath, and most of the hairs in his tail had been pulled out. He was wise. He was wise, for he had seen a long succession of mechanical toys arrive to boast and swagger and by and by break their mainsprings and pass away. And he knew that they were only toys and would never turn into anything else. What is real? asked the rabbit one day. Does it mean having things that buzz inside you and a a stick-out handle? Real isn't how you are made, said the skin horse. It's a thing that happens to you. When a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you, then you become real. Does it hurt? asked the rabbit. Sometimes, said the skin horse, for he was always truthful. When you are real, you don't mind being hurt. Does it does it happen all at once, like being wound up, he asked, or, or bit by bit? It doesn't happen all at once, said the skin horse. You become. It takes a long time. That's why it doesn't happen often to people who break easily, or have sharp edges, or have to be carefully kept. Generally, by the time you are real... Most of your hair has been loved off. Your eyes drop out. And you get loose in the joints. And very shabby. But these things don't matter at all. Because once you are real, you can't be ugly. 
The boy's uncle made me real, he said. That was a great many years ago. But once you are real, you can't be unreal again. It lasts for always. The rabbit sighed. He thought it would be a long time before this magic called real happened to him. He longed to become real, to know what it felt like, and yet the idea of growing shabby and and losing his eyes and whiskers was rather sad. Weeks passed, and the rabbit grew old and very shabby. But the boy loved him just as much. He loved him so hard that he loved all of his whiskers off. And the pink lining to his ears turned gray, and his brown spots faded. He even began to lose his shape, and he scarcely looked like a rabbit anymore, except the boy. To him, he was always beautiful, and that was all the little rabbit cared about. And then if you remember the story, the boy became very sick, very, very sick, deathbed sick. And it was thought best by the doctor that everything the boy had come into contact with, clothing, um, the bedding, and the toys, that everything that the boy had come into contact be burned up in a bonfire. The velveteen rabbit overheard this and was terrified at that prospect of being thrown into the bonfire. But that night, this presence, this higher power, appears to the rabbit and tells him that the moment has arrived for him to be made real. Wasn't I real before? asked the little rabbit. You were real to the boy because he loved you. Now you will be real to everyone. The little rabbit sat still for a moment and never moved. For when he saw all the wild rabbits dancing around, he suddenly remembered about his hind legs. And he didn't want them to see that he was made all in one piece. And he might have sat there a long time too shy to move if just then something hadn't tickled his nose. And before he thought what he was doing, he lifted up his hind toe to scratch it. And he found that he actually had hind legs. Instead of dingy velveteen, he had had brown fur, soft and shiny. His ears twitched by themselves, and his whiskers were so long that they brushed the grass. He gave one leap, and the joy of of using those hind legs was so great that he went around springing about on the turf, jumping sideways, whirling around, and he grew so excited. He was a real rabbit at last, at home with the other rabbits.
Jesus was born into this world, lived among us. Isaiah 53 prophesied about him. He wouldn't be all that impressive looking. There wouldn't be anything about his appearance that would make people go, wow. It was one of us. But it was very impressive, right? It was very impressive how he loved people. He spent time with all kinds of people, mostly people who felt kind of shabby, who felt kind of ashamed of themselves, the sinners, the marginalized. He loved them. He taught them, ministered to them, healed them, spoke words of hope to these people. He loved them. And then despised by those in power. He was turned over to the Romans. And he was put to death on a cross. Then the story really gets exciting, right? On the third day, he walked out of that grave alive. Death could not stop him. Grave with a heavy stone rolled in front of it could not hold him. And it was really him. More real. More alive. More glorious than he had ever been. Body and soul. His glorious resurrection is a preview of ours. He is making us real. And if you have never believed on the name of Jesus, what better day than today than to cross that line of faith, express your belief that yes, Jesus died and was raised for you. That you can become real and enter into this world of substance and weight, eternity because of His power and love. You can be baptized into Jesus today and start that journey. Maybe you just need prayers this morning. We would love to pray with you or one of our shepherds or maybe just get together with somebody and pray. However you need to respond this morning, please do that as we stand together and pray and worship together.